strange, isn't it? Each man's life touches so many other lives. And when he isn't around, he leaves an awful hole, doesn't he? Hey, cassettes, and welcome back to the Christmas Case Diaries. Yeah. Get in the spirit. Oh, yeah. boy. <laughs> We're three old angels learning everything ah. we can about movies and TV and hopefully teaching you in the process. I'm Marcy. I'm Robin. And I'm Adam. <laughs> I'm sorry I didn't point to anybody. Yeah, she time. usually points. <sighs> We yeah, don't know what to, to do if you, you don't point. You had to point. figure it out. Ah. Are we Bible accurate? Nope. <laughs> mm. Probably not. We are so. not. <laughs> We're not Bible accurate, much like the angel in this movie. Yeah. That's right. It's not Bible so, accurate at all. Exactly. I like this movie's version of angels. Yeah, I think it's yeah, pretty chill. I like it. <laughs> There's no doubting it, folks. The holidays are here. Yep. Oh, boy. <laughs> no matter if you're ready or not. And with this season comes the return of certain movies. Of course, it's just not Christmas if Ralphie doesn't put on the pink bunny suit in A Christmas Story, or if we miss Kevin McAllister setting the traps in his Chicago home. Over time, these films have come to define the Christmas season so well, it's already hard to imagine what Christmas was like without them. Yeah, these movies are fairly recent, Mm -hmm. but it still kind of feels like... They've been here forever. Exactly. <laughs> it, it's strange how that works with Christmas, yeah. right? Yeah. It works yeah. with songs, too. Oh, especially it's like songs. songs like... were, these songs were written so long ago. Yep. You know, but they're the same, like, 20 songs that we, that <laughs> these are the Christmas ones. Nobody's allowed to make a new one. Yeah. Because <laughs> if they do, it's just not. Unless they're Mariah Carey. It, yes. Exactly. That's true. That's true. <laughs> Today, we're talking about one such movie. It's a story about a man that believes he's lived a worthless life until he's given an incredible gift, a chance to see what the world would be without him. This is a a pretty interesting gift, at least. It it really is. Yeah, I feel like it is a good gift. I mean, it's a lot of turmoil, though, that he goes through. Right. (laughs) It's it's pretty rough. Yeah. Pretty rough transition. I'm like on the fence about whether or not I would want that. Yeah. Just to like see. Mm-hmm. But yeah. also, what if it's like, what if it's like way better? Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, oh no. <laughs> so it's like, maybe I shouldn't you're, know. You're scared of that. Better gift. off not knowing. It's like my favorite part of the movie when uh, the angel shows him what life would be like without him and they show his wife. Mm-hmm. And the angel's like, you don't want to see her. It's too upsetting. Oh no. She never <laughs> married. <gasps> She's an old maid now. Horrible. <laughs> the worst thing to and be. It's, and it's her clearly beautiful, flawless, 23-year-old face, but she yes. just has glasses now. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, me, no. You're telling me this girl didn't meet anyone else. <laughs> um. It's a Wonderful Life is so classic, we'll bet you even know the story, even if you haven't seen it. Countless TV shows have spoofed the famous plot, from Buffy the Vampire Slayer to the Fairly Odd Parents. In the Fairly Odd Parents, the world is better. <laughs> like way better. Yeah. Of course it is. It's like Utopia and his parents are like rich. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but this popular Christmas gem didn't start out as wonderfully as you would think. In fact, the film underperformed initially, landing its fledgling production studio about $500,000 worth of debt. Ouch. 
Yikes. Yeah. So, how did this dud find its place as a bona fide Christmas classic? Grab a glass of flaming rum punch, <laughs> or whatever you prefer, and settle in as we discover the story behind It's a Wonderful Life. Yeah. All right. This is another one of those movies, because we mentioned it if you if you were around for the Shawshank episode, mm-hmm. and how that one didn't do well either. Yeah. And it's just yeah. like, what? How? <laughs> how do absolute <laughs> classics... <laughs> Not do well when they come out. Yeah. And then a movie that nobody will remember 20 years from now makes billions when it comes out. Like, come on. Mm -hmm. I love these stories. These are my favorite movies to cover. Yeah. I agree. The ones that didn't do well and then found a life later on. You know, there's just something about sometimes things aren't released at the right time. You know, the world wasn't ready for something and just, you know, it just happens. That's why a lot of artists aren't famous until after they're dead. Yep. That's actually, that's a good point. <laughs> True. Uh, you guys have seen It's a Wonderful Life. What do you guys think about this movie? Yes. Yeah. I remember the first time I saw it. It wasn't that long ago because it was one of the ones you showed me first. Yeah. I, I knew yeah. about it because it's a Christmas classic. A lot of people talk about I it. I remember showing it to you for the first time. I showed it to you and a, f- a few other people. Mm-hmm. And I remember because at the very beginning, they show you the fake <laughs> Stars, uh-huh. and you said space. <laughs> <laughs> the final oh, frontier, my dude. Gosh. That good joke. <laughs> good joke passed me. But it's a great movie. It, yeah. it turned out to be amazing, and of course, I recognized the story from right. like like Fairly yeah. Odd Parents. It's like, oh, I get it. I've <laughs> seen this. Oh, I know where yeah. this is going. Yes, but it's such a nice like. They did it so well this the first time, and mm-hmm. it's it makes you feel good. Yeah, you know? at the end, right by the end. Yeah, yeah. This one is one that I I think I've seen multiple times over the years. At first, it was just on TV. You know, mm-hmm. they that you know that yearly just playing it on TV. So I had seen clips like pieces of it. I I don't remember if I had seen the entire thing before I watched it with Robin's family. Yeah. One year. And so that's when I think I finally got to see it from start to finish. Right. We were not often a catch the movie on TV kind of family. (laughs) I mean, it came to things like this. Yeah. You know, we had very particular movies we watched every year for Mm -hmm. Christmas, and we had specific dates that we watched them on. Mm -hmm. And this one we would watch on December 22nd, I believe every year. Yeah. And yeah, and it, it was a very big family tradition, you know. Yep. It, was, it and we'll probably watch it this year in some form. This is a movie that I have seen every year of my life. Count- I'm very confident. Times. Yeah, confident saying that. It's my sister yes. Becky's favorite movie, at least oh. it's one of her favorite movies. Mm-hmm. Nice. It makes me cry mm-hmm. still. And it's just a really nice message. It really is. And it's, of course, in black and white. Yeah. The original version. They did colorize it. And when we found that out, I wanted (laughs) to have us watch the black and white version and write down what we think that they put the colors in. Yeah, like what colors Like what color was her dress during this scene? What color was the robe? What color? But we have not gotten around to doing that. We're going to do it. We're going to do it. We eventually will. I... He, yeah, because you know when the colorized version came out, Jimmy Stewart didn't want people to see. They like he like yeah. petitioned <laughs> against against the color version of this movie. And I'm I guessing because part of the magic of maybe the black and white. Yeah, it's easier to fall for 
the hot L.A. summer being yeah. transformed into a very, very cold Bedford Falls. Yeah. You when know? it's black and white. Yes, yeah. Yes. I, I would agree with that. Yeah, I think that really helps with it. Mm-hmm. And, and honestly, I would say, like, I would argue that the color doesn't necessarily add anything. No, mm-hmm. it we doesn't. All, we all know what the colors of Christmas are, right? <laughs> we can, vague, we can yeah. get an idea of what things are just by looking at it. Yes. You know, we get... I love black and white mm-hmm. movies. So it, yeah. yeah. I it definitely prefer the black and white, yeah, oh. especially yeah. for this movie. Yeah. I just, as a kid watching it in black and white, yeah. I always felt like I could just, it didn't matter. I could imagine what the colors were. Exactly. And I, I, sometimes I would forget, mm-hmm. is that what we watch in black and white? I can't remember. You know, <laughs> I can't. So, yeah. Yeah. All right. For those of you who haven't seen this wonderful movie, obviously, since we just gave it such a glowing review, mm-hmm. go watch it. But here's a little synopsis for you. George Bailey is about to give up on his life. As far as he's concerned, he's a complete failure who has never amounted to anything. When the angel Gabriel hears the prayers of George's concerned family and friends, he sends a novice angel named Clarence to intervene. Clarence doesn't know exactly how to help this man until George proclaims that he wishes he'd never been born, and Clarence decides to make that wish a reality. Whoa. Oh snap! I love just the, the first thing I'll say is I love that he sends like a newbie. Yes, angel. it's like yeah, it's your first first day on the job. You can there you go. Just, like, yeah. Here's a few facts about his life. Yes, yeah. they go show him the, the slideshow. They show him, yeah. they show him the the movie that's his life. Yeah, yeah. So let's talk about how the movie was made. Oh, Yay. right. Let's do something we never do. Yeah. Talk about how the- something <laughs> totally new. A BCD first. <laughs> it's a Wonderful Life began, as so many Hollywood films do, with a short story. In the winter of 1938, Philip Van Dorenstern wrote a story called The Greatest Gift about a banker on the brink of suicide until an angel shows him what the world would be like without him. Stern was unable to get the story published, so he made it into a pamphlet and mailed it out to 200 people as a Christmas card in 1943. 200. Yeah. Do I even know 200 people personally? (laughs) I'm certainly not sending out 200 Christmas cards. I was going to say, that's (laughs) just more of a pain than it's worth. (laughs) I would have to, like, even if I sent to everyone I work with. Yeah. Yeah. That's a lot. I still don't think that's enough people. Yeah. Yeah. According to the New York Times, one of the recipients of the story was Stern's agent, who was able to sell it to RKO Pictures, one of the biggest studios during the golden age of Hollywood, for $10,000. Adjusted for inflation, this would be about $157,925 today. Hmm. That's all right. I mean, yeah, that's, a, that's pretty that's a good. good chunk of change. <laughs> I don't know how much yeah. stories go for now. <laughs> no idea. Probably that's, more. That's pretty good, though. Yeah. yeah. It's not bad. Yeah. For yeah. one story? I, I'd, I'd take it. Yeah. Yeah, I think I would. I think <laughs> yeah. I would. I don't think I'd turn my nose up on that one. No. Yeah. RKO had three scriptwriters adapt the story into three screenplays, with a plan for Cary Grant to star in the eventual film adaptation, which did mm. not come to pass. It did uh. not. Screenwriter Mark Connolly's script included a scene where George Bailey sees a world with a bad version of himself. Clifford Odets took this idea and had the two Georges fight on the bridge, with the evil George dying in the end. <gasps> Wait a second. <laughs> yeah. An evil doppelganger version? Are you kidding yes. me? It sounds more like a Twilight Zone episode. It does. <laughs> or a cartoon version. <laughs> yeah. The third uncredited scriptwriter was Dalton Trumbo, 
the famous writer known for scripting Roman Holiday. None of the scripts seemed to work. So the project lost steam until Frank Capra came along and purchased the rights for $10,000, the same amount that RKO had paid. However, RKO also tossed in the three scripts. Capra combined the scripts and added some of his own ideas. For example, he created the character of Mr. Potter, the villain portrayed by the legendary actor Lionel Barrymore, Drew Barrymore's great-uncle. He also reimagined Bedford Falls as a more believable place so audiences could connect with the characters. Also, if he needed to reimagine the place to be believable, mm-hmm. where, what was going on yeah, what before? Was, yeah. What I, wasn't believable? Yeah. I want to know. I think it was he incorporated a lot of real world elements to this place. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so it's got like landmarks that are not yeah. in the same place, yeah. maybe. Mm. It's believed that during this time, Capper visited the town of Seneca Falls to get inspiration for Bedford Falls. According to the Seneca Falls It's a Wonderful Life Museum, a barber named Tom Bellissima recalled cutting Capra's hair during a visit. Seneca Falls and Bedford Falls have a few similarities. For example, they are both located in western New York. The architecture and layout of the town both look similar as well. Not only that, a resident of Seneca Falls once set up affordable housing named after his family. George Bailey does the same thing in this film. Ah, quite a few little similarities. Uh But the biggest similarity was the story of Antonio Veracalli. In April of 1917, a woman attempted suicide by jumping from the Seneca Falls Bridge. Antonio Veracalli jumped in after her, saving her life, but losing his own in the process. He was only 19 years old. In response to this, he was posthumously awarded the Carnegie Hero Medal. Seneca Falls then came together to raise enough money for Veracalli's family to come live in the United States a dream that he had been working toward. Wow. That's yeah. amazing. In the film, George walks down to the Bedford Falls Bridge and heavily considers jumping into the icy water. Clarence, George's angel, saves his life by jumping into the water just before George could do it himself. George then saves the angel and forgets about his own thoughts of suicide. The events of Antonio Veracalli could have inspired this part of the film. In fact, a lot of people believe that I, it did. I mean, it sounds yeah. like it, Yeah. Yeah. And also the ending of this movie. At the end of It's a Wonderful Life, the town comes together because George is, is in some financial trouble and they all pitch in so that they can help. Yeah. You know, they can they can help him get out of his <laughs> hole. And that is what the town did here. You know, they yeah, all they all got family. together so that his family could come. Right. Yeah. After buying the greatest gift from RKO Pictures, Frank Capra changed the name of the movie to It's a Wonderful Life. Yeah. The one we know and love. Yeah. He hired two screenwriters to help with the new conglomerate script. Their names were Albert Hackett and Francis Goodrich. The screenwriters were thrilled to work with someone as creative as Capra, but the relationship between them and the director soured over time. For one thing, Capra was taking their work and rewriting portions of it with another screenwriter behind their backs, something that is against the rules according to the Writers Guild. And these two writers were founding members of the Writers Guild. Yeah. So to do it to them, it's like, yeah, Bad news. The couple also felt that Capra was condescending, and they didn't like that he referred to Francis as my dear woman. Mm-hmm. Mm. These two screenwriters were pretty well known. They wrote a lot of other stuff later. They wrote Father of the Bride mm-hmm. and the ah, sequel. Nice. Yeah. 
So they wrote a lot of they were they were a husband wife duo and they wrote a lot of movies together and she was very well respected and oh yeah mm-hmm. I feel like you know him talking to her that way was yeah I can pretty out of line I can hear it I could I can yeah. hear the condescension and the like yes. talking down yeah oh. just imagine yeah my dear woman I know what's <laughs> yeah. better yeah exactly <laughs> let let me explain that's all, to yeah. you I am man. <laughs> And that's all that. That makes all all the difference. That's it. They turned in their version of the script regardless, and Capra hired another two more writers to polish it off. The Writers Guild stepped in and made sure that Goodrich and Hackett got top credit for their work, with Capra and other writers listed below. Yeah, that's good. (laughs) They got top billing. With Capra got, getting the third mm-hmm. screen right because he did come up with a lot of part, like parts of the story. Right. It's a Wonderful Life opens with the shot of a bell, very much like the famed Liberty Bell, ringing. This was the calling card for Liberty Films, an independent film studio founded by Frank Capra, Sam Briskin, William Wyler, and George Stevens. Now, when I was a kid... If you guys remember, there's a very famous quote in this movie, Mm -hmm. and it goes like this. Every time a bell rings, an angel gets its wings. Ah. And at the beginning and end of this movie, you see the Liberty Films bell, and I didn't think that it was the production studio. I thought it was just part of the whole movie thing. Me too. Yeah. Like, bong, 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 bong. Like, all the bells are ringing. All the angels are winging it up up there. You know? (laughs) Winging it up. Yeah. Yes, yes. You know, it's funny. I wish that more studios did something like this. Yeah. Rather than having 50 splash logos at the beginning of your movie. You know, why not just do like a little calling card? Yeah, like a little live action thing. Yeah. (laughs) In the 1930s, Frank Capra was quite possibly the most well known director in Hollywood. While the country toiled through the Great Depression, Audiences could look to his films for a dose of optimism. In fact, some critics would even refer to his work as Capricorn because of its perceived cheesiness. Uh-huh. <laughs> I mean, that's a pretty clever name. Yeah. <laughs> <But> <laughs> Gotta give the people what they want. Yeah. Hey, you know what? Hey, the depression yeah. sucks, all right? Exactly. Yep. You know? <laughs> we need, we need. It's cool to watch some des- fun. We deserve some happiness. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. we're feeling it now, you know? Mm-hmm. We get it. We're I mean, gonna be getting some pretty optimistic movies, I think, for the next yeah. five, six years. Oh, so. yeah. <laughs> I'm okay with it. And I mean, a lot of movies nowadays could be considered, like, Popcorn movies, yeah. right? Oh, so yeah. it's the same oh, yeah. thing. Oh, yeah. yes. Capra didn't mind because he believed it was important to spread positive messages. During the 1930s, he directed award-winning classics like It Happened One Night and Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. While serving in the Signal Corps during World War II, he directed seven documentaries that were meant to increase public support for the war effort. Wow. Yeah, he was an actual officer in a branch of the military, which was all about communication and making stuff like that. Interesting. Mm. After returning from the war, Capra started the Liberty Films, and It's a Wonderful Life would be their first and only production before they would be forced to sell their assets to Paramount in 1948. Darn it. fast. (laughs) Darn it. That's why nobody does the calling card thing. They only got to do it once. <laughs> once. Yeah. Basically, it was the only one that got to be made under Liberty Film 
studios. Mm-hmm. You know, they had other movies that they worked on, but they mm-hmm. were technically under Paramount at that point. So, but the Liberty uh, films, yeah. I think, did make a few more, but it wasn't, you know, this mm-hmm. was the first right. and only one where they hadn't sold all their stuff yet. I see. So uh, that must be why this movie isn't just on Paramount Plus. It's yeah. It's just kind mm-hmm. of in this limbo because technically they didn't own them yet. Some would describe Capra as a true independent, a filmmaker that never adhered to conventional standards. His philosophy was that there was one man behind every film meaning he was involved in most of the decision-making on each production. Because of this, Capra was responsible for many of the key details of It's a Wonderful Life, including the casting. James Stewart was Capra's first choice for George Bailey from the beginning. He had already starred in other Capra projects, like Mr. Smith Goes to Washington and Can't Take It With You. You Can't Take It With You and Mr. Smith Goes to Washington they're two pretty optimistic. Yeah. You know. <laughs> Are they Capricorn? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And it's funny because then you can't take it with you. Lionel Barrymore is in that as well and plays a ah. I would say a, pretty much an opposite character mm-hmm. to what he plays in this Interesting. movie. Yeah. Stewart's on-screen characters were often honest and friendly, and audiences recognized his unique and unassuming style of speech. You guys have heard a Jimmy Stewart impression from mm. lots of people. Oh right? yeah, oh, it's so time. easy, right? It's so popular. Yeah, it's an, it's not. I wouldn't say it's like an easy impression to do, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. it's it is an easier voice to replicate because it was so distinct mm-hmm. and yeah. a style of speech. Yeah, you can kind of get the sounds right, but if you really n- need to nail it, it's difficult. Yeah, he had the the accent that old movie stars had. Mm. Right, yeah. Yep. And so he did that. <laughs> but he also had kind of a croak sound to his voice. Mm-hmm. Oh. Yeah. And, you know, when he talked a lot and it mm-hmm. made him sound unsure a lot. And it, it, you know, it, it made <laughs> right. you kind of love him because Endearing. you felt like he was an underdog. Yeah. yeah. Capra was convinced that Stewart could handle the darker scenes of this movie. And he was right. There's a scene where George and Mary kiss passionately after speaking on the phone. Stuart was reluctant to do the scene, saying he was rusty. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> wow, trying to get out of a kiss. Yeah. Dang. He's a nice guy, I guess. Yeah, He's he like, is. I don't want her to have a bad time. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want her to not like me. Yeah. Oh, she'll have the rest of the movie yeah. <laughs> to deal with me. Capra insisted and changed the scene so that George and Mary would share the same phone, making the kiss afterward feel more natural. The couple shot it in one take, apparently leaving out a whole page of dialogue. When the script supervisor brought this up, Capper reportedly replied, with technique like that, who needs dialogue? What? <laughs> what? A so, whole page. A whole page. And I think it, because it, this, honestly, the chemistry is really strong in it's this scene. thick. They're both on the phone. They have to share the same phone. And they're looking at each other, and it's this really nice scene because I'm guessing this whole page of dialogue mm-hmm. was probably about him maybe confessing his love to her or yeah. something like that. Mm-hmm. But he doesn't do that. And the whole scene is about him kind of realizing that even though he wants to travel the world and he wants to do all yeah. these things that he said he would always do. But what he really wants is to just settle down and marry her. Yeah. And like he's coming to terms with that in yep. this scene. 
And he doesn't say any of that. No. They just act it. And it's, it's so much more powerful that way. Yes. Yeah. He said it's the chance of a lifetime. Now, you listen to me. I don't want any plastics. I don't want any ground floors. And I don't want to get married ever to anyone. You understand that? I want to do what I want to do. And you're... And you're... And they literally get married in the next frame of the movie after they kiss. This is the 1940s classic smash kiss where they don't really kiss each other. They just kind of smash their faces against each other. And it looks so painful. (laughs) And you're like, like you'd bite your lip doing that. It's about passion. It's about making it look like they really mean it. Capra's first choice for Mary was Jean Arthur because she had experience playing opposite Stuart in two of his films. Arthur declined, and Capra looked at several other actresses, including Ginger Rogers. What? Until finally deciding on Donna Reed. It's so funny how old movies like this, like, you go from one movie to the next, and there's mm-hmm. just all the same actors again. Yes. Yep. You know, it's so funny. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it, didn't, it didn't in this one, but, you know, it, his first thought, oh, well, the yeah, two that have I'll worked just use together. The, yeah, I'll just use the actress in these other movies, yeah. In one scene, Reed's character was supposed to throw a rock at an abandoned house. Capra hired someone to throw the rock for Reed, but it turned out she was a terrific shot and threw rocks better than anyone on set. Whoa. Yeah, that's her. Yes. There was that rock. Actually her. Yeah. From the start, Frank Capra was determined to have actor Henry Travers in the film. Travers was a veteran stage actor that had made a name for himself in famous film productions like The Spells of St. Mary's. Ultimately, Capra decided that Travers would be perfect as Clarence Oddbody, George's guardian angel. Travers retired from acting in 1949 and lived to be 91. Clarence would always be his most well-known role. Brilliant. It's true, though. He's yes. so good as this. I, oh, Clarence is so... So fun. It's perfect. I believe that man is an angel. Yeah. Oh, oh, for sure. Definitely. Yeah. (laughs) No doubt. (laughs) Several different men were considered for the part of the conniving Mr. Potter, like Charles Coburn and Vincent Price. But the role went to Lionel Barrymore, a legendary actor that had previously appeared in Capra's film, You Can't Take It With You. Yeah. He's odious as yeah yeah great great job i still i can't i can't get over the fact that we said that he's related to drew barrymore yeah he's drew Uh, barrymore's great uncle great uncle yeah her her grandfather was john barrymore Uh, yeah another very famous actor mm -hmm. yeah they were a big famous actor family family actors yeah. yeah when it's a wonderful life premiered the hayes code was still in effect One of the stipulations of the code was that villains should always be punished for their misdeeds. What a dark time in Hollywood. Right? Where they could Yeah. Where they were like, no, no, you you have to punish your villains. Bad guys can never win. (laughs) No. Ever. And not just not win. They they have to be punished. They have to be punished. (laughs) However, the film was able to get away with not punishing the evil Mr. Potter. (laughs) Yeah. Capra said that he received more mail about this than anything else. Wow. I just feel like, first of all, 
the message of the movie is a little more positive. <laughs> yeah. And it's just like good things happen to somebody instead mm-hmm. of seeing bad things happen to somebody. You know what yes. I mean? True. Good things happen to the protagonist, not bad things happen to the antagonist, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And also just I felt like he was kind of punished because yeah. all he wanted was for everyone to shut up about George Bailey. Mm-hmm. He wanted to take over George Bailey's business. He yep. wanted he wanted to win and he thought he did and he didn't win. Nope. And I feel like that's a pretty mm-hmm. I mean, he's, you know, Yeah. Like, yeah, uh, back to your hole. Yeah, you exactly. It. Yeah, like I feel like that's fine. I, he just didn't succeed in yep. destroying their lives. Mhm. Mm-hmm. It's a Wonderful Life started production in the summer of 1946. Bedford Falls was a set built on the Encino Ranch owned by RKO Pictures in California. Even though it was a Liberty Films production, RKO Pictures would still distribute the film. We just want to mention that because that's why they were on the RKO property. Yeah. Gotcha. This was one of the longest sets built for a movie at the time. The main street was 300 yards long, with a tree-lined center parkway. Bedford Falls included 75 stores and buildings, including a bank, with a marble front. Ooh, after wow. after a set like this, why don't you just like leave it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like this yeah. is we'll just use it. this is a new ta- this is the new town now. <laughs> like for everything, it's now public. <laughs> this is real now. Yeah, like this is too much to just take down. I know that's just oh my gosh. Sure, maybe other movies will use it, or like real businesses can move into the buildings or whatever. But I don't something know. it yeah. seems it seems like a waste. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> The set had been constructed in three separate sections, but when it had all been pieced together, it covered about four acres of land. Twenty full-grown oak trees were transplanted to the set as well. And like, did they leave them? I hope they left them. That's what I'm saying. So too, you know, because it's like transplant them again, or (laughs) I I would hope that at least they transplant them again, not just like chop them down. Yeah, done with these. Like, leave it. Yeah. This is too much work. Yeah. 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 Like you Four acres of set? You just built a town. Just seriously. <laughs> One of the most famous scenes in the movie takes place during a high school dance. As the main characters take part in a Charleston contest, a disgruntled teenager decides to open the floor to reveal a swimming pool. George and Mary then fall in, prompting other dancers to jump in as well. Critics felt that the scene was fakery at its worst but the school and the gym floor really do exist in Beverly Hills. You know, I believed it. Yeah. yeah. It makes sense. Like, if you don't have a whole nother building to put your pool in, mm-hmm. yeah. and put also, it court. I guess technically it is fakery at its worst. Yeah, because it wasn't fakery it, at all. Exactly. Oh. Hey. <laughs> fucking got him. Yeah. This is a real school. The, the floor is still in operation, mm-hmm. from what I understand. And... I think this is a really, really funny scene. Yeah. It's really fun to watch this, just having them dance closer and closer to the line, and yeah. everyone's freaking out, and he's like, hey, oh. we must be pretty good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I love that after it opens, mm-hmm. it doesn't go like, oh, everything's ruined. Oh, no. Yes. <laughs> everyone's yeah. like, fucking, let's keep going. They just, yeah. and then they just make it more fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's really nice. What's the matter, Othello? Jealous? Did you know there's a swimming pool under this floor? And did you know that button behind you causes this floor to open up? And did you further know that George Bailey is dancing right over that crack? I've got the key. 
The special effects team developed a groundbreaking way to make fake snow. Yeah, which, they did. Yeah, and they won a technical award for it as well. Nice. Yeah. yeah. You can't have a film take place during a New York December and not have snow, right? However, It's a Wonderful Life was filmed during a record-breaking heat wave, meaning that there was no snow to be found. In fact, the heat was so intense they had to take a day off of production so everyone could rest. Oh, man, of <laughs> all the summers. Yeah. Right? Yikes. Yeah. <laughs> Up until this point, movie snow was often bleached cornflakes, which, as you can imagine, makes it difficult to record audio. What? Yeah. <laughs> try not to step on the snow, everyone. I know, I know, it's, every, I know it's everywhere. You gotta, look, you gotta try. <laughs> it sounds like, it literally it just sounds like somebody eating a bowl of Frosted Flakes. Oh my Just gosh. into a microphone. Into a mic. Oh. <laughs> oh. The special effects crew used 3,000 tons of ice, and I, I asked, I double-checked. <laughs> yes. To make sure that's, that's what we're going with. That's the number yep. we're going with. Tons. 3,000 tons of ice. 300 tons of gypsum, 300 tons of plaster, and 6,000 gallons of a special mixture of fomite, soap, and water. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. Lordy I Lord. mean, they you had know. at minimum 300 yards of area to cover. Yeah. That's true. <laughs> they had a ton of area to cover, and it was freaking hot outside. Yeah, so it they, was. It was melting and melting and melting and melting. Yeah. <laughs> That's an absolute... <laughs> huge amount of ice. Yes. And I think about it, like the chemical mixture, the plaster and everything, it's all in his hair. And like... Yeah, <laughs> gross. Oh, yeah. Definitely have to shower every night. <laughs> it's a Wonderful Life was the final collaboration between Frank Capra and composer Dimitri Tompkin. Tompkin had worked with Capra on previous films like Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. They were kind of a duo. They worked together yeah, in a lot of movies right. together. Frank Capra never saw this movie as a Christmas movie, although it takes place at Christmas. Originally, it was scheduled to release in the spring of 1947, but RKO pushed up the release to December of 1946, rushing parts of the production. The greatest casualty of this was Tompkins' score. Oh, man. So they wanted it to be in Oscar contention, so they pushed yeah. it back. Uh, to yep. December, and they also thought, well, it's a, it takes place at Christmas. It should release at Christmas, mm-hmm. even though they just filmed it in the summertime. I <laughs> wonder if it would have done any better or worse if it released in spring. I wonder, too. Yeah. yeah. Mm. The score that the audience hears while watching the final cut of the movie is drastically different than what Tiamkin composed. His music had a darker tone emphasizing the more serious themes in the film. Themes like financial ruin, death, and suicide. Wow. Yeah. And I don't think that his music was too dark for the movie, Mm-mm. listening to it, but, I mean, that's just me. <laughs> yeah, same. <laughs> I mean, the movie does explore those things. Right, but would the tone have been too much for people? Maybe somebody out there can edit the music in... Yeah, edit like, in now. Have the have the <laughs> have cut with his music. Ooh, seventy fifth uh. anniversary edition. Oh shit! I'm sure it's out already though. Yeah, <laughs> yeah probably. To make the film feel lighter, much of Chomkin's music was cut and replaced with pre written music. Because of the rush deadline, there wasn't enough time for rewrites, and most of Chomkin's music ended up in the cutting room floor. He referred to it as a real scissors job. 
man. Yeah, and I think this might be why it was the last movie he made with Frank Capra. (laughs) (laughs) I'm done. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. For decades, audiences didn't have a chance to hear the original music, but the Sundance Institute was able to recover much of it. The reconstructed version of what Tiomkin had planned can be found on a recent episode of Saturday Cinema with Lynn Warfel, and we're going to link to it in the blog. Yeah. It's a, yeah, it's a radio program from NPR. Nice. So, and she talks about the movie and some of the history of the music and all the drama. Yeah. And all that stuff. So it's a yeah. good listen. It's really good. We're going to link to it so you guys can listen Sweet. to it. Sweet. Definitely go check out the blog, as you should for every episode. Yeah. yeah. So now we're going to talk a little bit about some of the other people who star in this movie. We kind of went over the big guns, right? Yeah. The main people. But there's obviously a lot more to the movie. Mm -hmm. First, we have Thomas Mitchell as Uncle Billy. Uncle Billy. Yes. Mitchell was a character actor, and another recognizable role for him was Gerald O'Hara in Gone with the Wind. Oh, okay. Pretty cool. Uncle Billy is the character that he works with George the Bank. And he's always forgetting things, and so he's yeah, always right. tying strings on his fingers to try to remember stuff, which I did not understand as a kid. <laughs> yeah, you're like, what is this at dude all? Doing? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It. I mean, I just, what the heck is he doing? I didn't. I. It wouldn't help me. No. No. I mean, maybe if the strings had stuff written on them. Yes. But if maybe. you're just tying strings, <laughs> I'd be like, wait a minute, why did I put that one on my pinky? Yeah. Why is my pinky? <laughs> what? Yes. I love Uncle Billy. You know, it, he's such a sweet guy. And, you know, the scene where he loses the money, there's a scene in this movie where mm-hmm. he loses all their money and really because Potter steals it from him. But, yep. you know, and George kind of turns on him and yells at him. It's so heartbreaking to yeah. watch that. Yeah. yeah. Next is H.B. Warner as Mr. Gower. During this time, Warner had been typecast after appearing as Jesus in 1927 silent film The King of Kings. It's so weird to me cuz I would yeah. I don't look at him and think, "Yep, that's Jesus." Yep. <laughs> Although it was controversial to have him play a troubled alcoholic, Capra took the chance. Warner was thrilled to play such a different character and show that he was not a one-note actor. No. Yeah. This scene is so interesting. It's another I think it's a pretty famous scene yeah. in the movie where young George Bailey realizes that the pharmacist, Mr. Gower, mm-hmm. is too distraught to fulfill prescriptions, mm-hmm. and he has used this poison or something, some sort of poison in the prescription, mm-hmm. and he doesn't know what to do, and so he just doesn't deliver it, Yeah, and then... Mr. Gower smacks him like yeah. he's bleeding straight like, up. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I believe the little boy that played young George Bailey said it. He actually did kind of start get a little blood from that. Oh man! But he said that H.P. Warner was very like a very sweet man. And after the scene was done, he hugged him and you know was like, "Oh my gosh, you did so Aww. great!" So he was like, he, "Warner was a really sweet man." Yeah. It was kind of a scary scene, mm-hmm. honestly, especially as a kid. It was like, oh my gosh. Ugh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Imagine if he didn't look, too. If he didn't look yeah. to see that oh, it was yeah. poison. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Next, we have Beulah Bondi as Ma Bailey. She was also a character actor that ended up being typecast as mothers and grandmothers. 
She played Jimmy Stewart's mother about four times. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> well, that's oh. fun. Yeah. <laughs> Next, we have the children, the Bailey children. First is Larry Sims as Pete Bailey, Carol Combs as Janny Bailey, Carolyn Grimes as Zuzu Bailey. When George also calls her his little ginger snap, it is cute, but also relevant because Zuzu was actually a Ginger Snap brand at the time. Aww. Oh, so cute. To, nowadays, it'd be like, oh, that's product placement. <laughs> Grimes said about the movie, I absolutely love it. There are so many messages. Capra was trying to make people realize that life is worth living and that you can make a difference. We lose sight of that every once in a while. That's why I think people love to watch it. I think she's right. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. I agree. And then we have Jimmy Hawkins as Tommy Bailey. Yeah. Yeah. Then we have Lillian Randolph as Annie. Randolph was a prolific actress that appeared in several films and TV shows throughout her career, all the way up until 1980, but she passed away. Yeah. Oh, wow. The last credit was 1979. Wow. wow. Oh, yeah. She worked all the, the way up. Yeah. yeah. A little cameo appears in the scene where the gym floor opens at the high school dance. You can see that the young man that is jealous of George and opens the floor is Carl Alfalfa Switzer. Yeah! Alfalfa! Hey, look at that. From the little rascals. Yeah. <laughs> that, that little rascal at it again. True to form, yes. yeah. <laughs> All right, next we have some little fun facts for you that we couldn't fit in anywhere else. When leaving George's house after the wedding festivities, Uncle Billy is clearly drunk. He is not able to realize that his missing hat is sitting upon his head. It's a cute little scene. I love that. When filming this scene, as the character of Uncle Billy exits the camera's frame, a loud crash can be heard. As intentional as it sounds, it's actually the accidental dropping of props by a technician. <laughs> Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just try this way. On that right straight down there. Oh, well, that way, huh? My wild Irish road. I'm all right. I'm all right. Oh, sweetest. Thomas Mitchell just rolled with the sound, calling out from off screen that he's okay. Although the technician feared for his job, Capra instead gave him a raise for improving the sound of the film as the audience imagines the crash being Uncle Billy colliding into trash cans. Yeah. Yeah. It, it makes perfect sense. <laughs> and he's like, I'm okay. Yeah. I'm all right. And it's very, very funny. It's a very comedic scene. Wow. The it sound is. made it really, it, it made it so much better. It couldn't have been more perfect. Really yeah. That's awesome. I think it helped that the actor went along with it. Yes. That he didn't, you know, because they could have been mad, you know, mm -hmm. but he was like, I'm all right. <laughs> yeah. Perfect. He stayed in character, too. Yeah. yeah. Yep. <laughs> During a run on the bank, when customers fear that they will lose their money, George uses his own personal honeymoon funds to calm his bank customers. All of the requests for money were scripted, except for the last one, made by Mrs. Davis. Her request was for only $17.50. Capra had told her to surprise Stuart, and so his reaction was genuine when he kissed her on the cheek for such a low money request. 
Yeah. <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> this scene is wild. So George and Mary are off on their honeymoon. They mm-hmm. just got married. They have a big stack of cash yep. that he's been saving up for this. And they're going to go. They're going to travel the world. The one thing George has always wanted to do. Oh, yeah. Travel always. the world. And he's gonna, finally going to be able to do it. And uh, on their way out, they see there's a run on the bank. Yeah. So he goes in there. And, you know, of course, the money is not at the bank. You know? Right, right. And this is the very beginning of the Great Depression. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, people are freaking out and they all want their money and mm-hmm. they all want to be able to take out their money. And everybody trying to take out their money all at the same time means that, you know, they're bad. Yeah, they're <laughs> not going to be able to do it. So George uses his own personal money to give everybody, you know, <laughs> and each person it's like, I need $50 right yeah. now. And he's like, do you need $50? Yeah. You know, it's it, they're they're like asking for their entire savings yeah. that they have in the yeah. bank. And he's like, do you need that? Do you really? Yeah. Like, I don't have enough for all of you to have all of your money. Yeah. This is the same where he's like, we have mama dollar and papa dollar and you better start making some babies real quick. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, if only it worked like that. There are a few reasons why audiences didn't go see It's a Wonderful Life. For one, the East Coast of the United States was experiencing record lows in temperatures, prompting a lot of people to stay home. But the main issue was that audiences felt it wasn't cheery enough to be a Christmas movie. Um, yeah. yeah. That's unfair. I feel like a lot of people probably went to see this. Well, actually, I'm sorry. I think a couple of people probably <laughs> went to see this and they expected it to be yeah. Capricorny. Yeah. Like uh, all his other so. movies. All his others. And, you know, it, it gets pretty dark. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, everything is wonderful at the end and it's beautiful. But for some people, it just gets a little too dark mm-hmm. before that happens, mm-hmm. before the dawn. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I guess that's true, but I personally don't think that Christmas movies necessarily have to be cheery. Yeah, the entire time. But, you know. I agree with you. Uh, Christmas is not necessarily a happy time for a lot of people. Yeah. So I think it totally makes sense for there to be Christmas movies that aren't all sunshine and rainbows. Mm -hmm. Right. And winter in itself is very hard. Yes. I mean- here when it snows during the winter and it's just dark gray, really yeah. early and it's yeah. gray and it's just it kind of puts a mood on everything regardless mm-hmm. of like everything could be going great you could be so excited for christmas mm-hmm. right putting lights up i'm really in the spirit but then once christmas is over everyone takes the lights down but it's still yeah. winter it's yeah, still, it's dark, still dark it's still cold mm-hmm. it's just it's yeah. hard the film explores a lot of dark themes and might be a tough watch for some Frank Capra never saw this as a failure. In fact, he often said It's a Wonderful Life was his favorite among his films. He liked that it explored the pain of normal life as well as the joy. Yeah, it's something you really need sometimes. Mm-hmm. It was really relatable. Yeah. yeah. Capra didn't want to make a film about the war, especially since it was fresh on the minds of audiences across the globe. But even though this film expressed a heartwarming message, it may not have been the uplifting escapism that post-war moviegoers were looking for. You know, people might have yeah. been looking for something a little more mm-hmm. corny, like we were yeah. saying, because the war had just happened. So mm-hmm. there is some debate about whether or not the film technically flopped, 
but it certainly didn't do well and foreshadowed the end of Liberty Films and, in some people's opinion, Frank Capra's career. A lot of studios and things were saying, oh, well, he doesn't bring in audiences anymore. Mm-hmm. And it's a Wonderful Life flopped, and he, did, he didn't bring in the numbers that he, you know, he doesn't, he's not a draw anymore. Yeah. Oh, boy. And I mean, just, he just paid, he bought too much ice. Yep, that's he just it. He couldn't make it back. No <laughs> yeah. <matter. It's> just... <laughs> and this could have been the end of It's a Wonderful Life's legacy. But in 1974, the copyright owner of the film made a clerical error and failed to renew the film's copyright. It fell into the public domain, where TV studios jumped at the free content and played it freely for about 19 years. That is crazy. Yeah. Yeah. In terms of the film's popularity, this was the miracle the movie needed. It's a Wonderful Life had somehow become a Christmas staple, a movie that people of all ages would enjoy, gathered by their loved ones every holiday season. Yeah. That is a miracle. What a turnaround. Yeah. Yeah. After about 19 years of this, the people (laughs) that owned the copyright to the movie initially came out and they said, you know what? We might no longer own the copyright to the movie, but we do own the copyright to the short story. Uh And because the movie is based on that content, we should own the copyright to that story. And they said, you know what? You're right. Because you own the copyright to the story, you should also own the copyright to adaptations of the story as well. And so therefore, Hmm. they now kind of got their copyright back. Um, Yeah. That's interesting. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, I I mean, that's a very dumbed down (laughs) description of what happened. Let's hope that... Disney doesn't pull any trickery <laughs> since they don't have the Tarzan copyright anymore. Oh my god! Because there have been yeah. like six Tarzan movies. Yeah. Since oh, yeah. it, I think it was because the story was so intently adapted. Right, that's mm-hmm. true. Yeah, I don't think it, it's a a thing that works Not for so everybody. Broad, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think it was a very specific kind of exception type deal. Although the film was nominated for five different Academy Awards, it did not win any. So nobody saw this movie apparently, but yeah. then they got it got nominated for Oscars. So there's that. Well, I mean, it came out in December, so <laughs> it it made it. It yep, made it just in time. Capra did win Best Director at the Golden Globes and the New York Film Critics Circle Awards. Several television shows have their own episode version of this movie. We mentioned this a little bit earlier. Yeah, I'm sure you guys. There's a Rugrats episode. Mm-hmm. The Muppets did this. I think. I mean, pretty probably much so many. every, yeah. <laughs> There's it's, probably a SpongeBob one in there, too. Yeah, yeah, it's, a sequel was in the works called It's a Wonderful Life, the rest of the story, but it has now been canceled. Mm-hmm. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. What? <laughs> We're good. What a, we don't need that. No. I, honestly, though, like, it, it's kind of <laughs> a really happy ending, and we don't yeah. need to know. Mm-hmm. Nope. We don't need to know. Yeah. We're okay. Imagine if they were like, let's make Shawshank 2, right? <laughs> the rest of the story. The rest of the story where they try to do this charter boat business and they get arrested again or something. Oh and I'm my. like, are you kidding me? No, thanks. No. No. We don't need, leave no. it. <laughs> Just leave it. Also, Seneca Falls has a museum dedicated to the movie. That's pretty great. Yeah. Yeah. And the Seneca Falls Bridge does look a lot like the bridge in the movie, I was yeah. going to say. Just, you know. It, does. it came a lot. It came up a lot in the searches. Yes, it sure, it sure did. So, do we have any final thoughts about the movie before we wrap up? 
it's so um <laughs> wonderful. <laughs> nice. It 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 just is. I'm really glad. You know, this is a weird circumstance, you know, bunch of circumstances yeah. that's led to it being popular, but I'm glad it did because I'm glad yeah. I got to see it. I yeah. would, you know. Yeah. Honestly, I love that it the movie itself is kind of just something a lot of people relate to because mm-hmm. they remember it being on TV. Yes. They remember yes. watching it all the time. So now it's kind of a thing that connects us a little bit. Yeah. You, know? you watch Home Alone, Home Alone 2, Gremlins, all these movies that take place at Christmas, and at some point in time, someone flips on the TV and they're watching It's a Wonderful mm-hmm. Life. There it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's, I mean, even in Bruce Almighty, which isn't like a Christmas movie, it happens even in, in that. You mm-hmm. know? Yeah. And there are so many iconic things that happen in this movie. So many great lines. Yeah. You know, he lassos the moon and... Oh, yeah. You know, every time a bell rings. And yeah, yeah. It's an incredibly quotable movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's really had a wonderful life. Yes, it, it yeah. has. <laughs> it has. And it's funny you mentioned the, the moon part because I had seen that clip in like commercials and things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. About a billion times. Yeah. yeah. Do you want the moon? Yeah. Throw a lasso around it, you know? There's so many signs at Hobby Lobby and Michael's yeah, and Joanne's yeah, exactly. that have that exact same quote. Yeah, <laughs> seen it everywhere. And then only once it finally saw the movie, it's like, no way. There it is. <laughs> the OG. It's like when you see a meme. Yeah. yeah. You know, when you see it in action. When in you action. see the meme in yeah. action, it's like, whoa. <laughs> it's amazing. It's a Wonderful Life had all the makings of a Hollywood classic. A famed director, a well-known and likable lead, and a heartwarming yet relatable story. But then the unexpected happened. Audiences didn't see it. For nearly 30 years, the film fell into relative obscurity, generally only remembered by those that saw it when it first premiered. But just when it seemed like the world was better off without it, it resurfaced to bring joy to audiences everywhere. As a Christmas movie, It's a Wonderful Life might get a little too real. The main character is a regular man with extraordinary ambition that eventually gives up his dreams to live what he considers to be an ordinary life. He has no understanding of the incredible impact he's had on so many lives until someone shows him. This film holds a message that nearly everyone on this planet longs to believe that each and every one of us, just through the simple acts of life, has made a remarkable difference. And if we were to learn anything from this movie, it's that we should all stop and remind the ones around us just how wonderful they are. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Ooh. Teary. And make sure you tell your uh, your local podcasts that they're also wonderful. <laughs> that would be nice. Yes, they would really, <laughs> really appreciate it. All right. Anyway. And, yeah. So I think with that, that's another case closed. Woo! That I heard a... no difference. <laughs> no difference. Hands. That ah, was a all all claps was, around. Yeah. You could zoom all it the way was... in. <laughs> When you edit it, you could zoom all the way in, and they're ah, gonna line up, baby. That yes. was perfect. Bam. <laughs> that was really, really good. It was. Oh, I think this is our last full-length Christmas episode yeah. of the year. Wow. Oh. 
so Merry Christmas. Yeah. Merry Christmas. We hope you enjoyed listening to the Christmas Case Diaries. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) We're not clever at all. (laughs) Well, it sounds nice, though. It rolls off the tongue. It does. Yeah. Yeah, it does. But before we go, we'd like to thank our patrons. Joel, John, Jacob, Jacqueline, JD, Anthony, Shelley, Linda, Bob, Carlos, and Jaren. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you guys so much. I love that you guys are like speed run. Yeah. Speed <laughs> run. Do it. <laughs> so if you want to support us on Patreon, you can find that on our website or just patreon.com. Yeah. And don't so. forget our other show, No Small Parts. There will be a new episode sometime soon. Yeah. yeah. Hopefully in time for Christmas, but who knows? Yes. yes. And we, we now have a backlog of those, so you can go back mm-hmm. and listen to any of those We have 11 episodes. That's yeah. Right. They're so good. They are. You are, <laughs> you are missing out. Yes. <laughs> I'm telling you, it's only 15 minutes. Yes. Sometimes less. Sometimes less, mm-hmm. sometimes more. Yep. And if you want, you can make it a challenge, a mystery. See if you can figure out who it's written about. Yeah. Mm. But not only Patreon, but you can now also buy us a popcorn at buymeacoffee.com slash blackcasediary. And we want to thank you all that support us, whether it be through listening, telling a friend, or donating. Yes, thank you. Thank you. You're thank amazing. You. Yes. Um, maybe leave us a review, too. That'd be nice. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there are multiple places. Just yeah. go for it. You can figure <laughs> yeah. it out. Anywhere, everywhere. Good old Google search to help you yeah. out. Thank you so much, guys. Thank you. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. New York. Oh, I left right in the middle of it. As soon as I got Mary's telegram. Good idea, Ernie. A toast <laughs> to my big brother, George, the richest man in town. Oh!